Hobic alongside the peripatetic Ryan Sir. Ryan, how you doing? I'm not a peripatetic. I can walk and move my arms. You're uh, peripatetic means you're everywhere. <laughs> you know, you're at Universal one day. You're at Disney the next day. You're at Kings Island the next day. You're doing the podcast tonight. I mean, you're all over the place. Yeah, and uh, so for those of you who don't recognize my settings, I'm actually just doing the podcast from my house. Don, episode 65. If this podcast had an IRA, it would be withdrawing from it right now. Yeah, exactly. 65. That's, you know, and people said it wouldn't last, Ryan, but here we are 65 episodes in. Uh, I think we always have a good time. Uh, you know, it's always fun to, to, to hear the feedback from our listeners. And um, but, you know, here we are. So, Ryan, where can people find us if this is their first time? listening to the attractions group podcast you know we're on youtube we actually have a video version that's like us talking and stuff it's not just like the logo with us our voices over it and we're on all your favorite podcast apps but if you want to make it simple just attractionsgrouppodcast.com that'll show you exactly where you need to go to follow us so we really appreciate the follow or the subscribe or whatever uh, and then i, I gotta say there's, you mentioned you know the cr faces opposed to the logo i i do have to say most of our listeners would say the logo looks better than our faces, Ryan. Yeah. With that being said, I just activated the logo because I forgot to turn it on, but I think it looks really cool. Don't you? It, it's a, it's a nice looking logo. Awesome. Yeah, it, it is. It is good looking for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, uh, attractions group podcast.com, uh, can give you all of our good stuff. And then, uh, on X slash Twitter, uh, at attractions underscore GRP. Uh, we actually have a pinned tweet there asking for questions. We will get to the, user question later in the episode. So a very exciting program for everybody tonight. Um, let's, let's start the show. All right. So, uh, Don, you're a big fan of amusement and theme park trains. I take you, you've been to entertainment junction, right? You know, I have, um, I go at least once a year, usually always the second week in November. And uh, that just happened to be like the time between the fall season being over when I was working at Kings Island and before, uh, you know, we got to the Winterfest event. So uh, second week in November, you're, you'll probably find me there, at least if, you know, we hit on the same day there. But, uh, you know, just a fantastic place, a great experience. Yeah, um, re really, really cool place. Definitely, definitely close to my heart. Um, so, you know, for those of you who don't know, Entertainment Junction is located in Westchester, Ohio world's largest indoor train display. To you, what makes it super unique? I think it showcases over 90, um, you know, scale trains representing the early, middle, and modern eras of American railroading. I think that's what makes it unique. Um, but, you know, what really, you know, sets it apart for me and makes it interesting is they have this working uh, Cincinnati's Coney Island amusement park model. And I think that's a true highlight for me every time I go. And I think for any theme park uh, and roller coaster enthusiast, you know, that's something that uh, they're going to be really intrigued with. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it, it does. So, uh, you know, it's got G scale trains, which are one of the largest, if not the largest models. So, you know, the trains roll around and stuff and they're, I mean, physically very large. This is not like a small uh, train set, but yeah, uh, they got the Coney Island display. Um so can you describe the significance of the working Cincinnati Coney Island amusement park model at entertainment junction? What's the significance to you? Well, I mean, just it's, it's part of Cincinnati's history, you know, and we're getting to that point now where, you know, every year there's less and less people that experienced Coney Island. So I think to be able to have something that kind of depicts what, you know, the amusement park scene was 
in the 1960s in Cincinnati, I think uh, that holds a lot of significance there. Uh, it's a great place for the storytelling of Coney Island there. Um, it's a very meticulous um, you know, display. Uh, it's a recreation of that park from its heyday in 1965. It covers over a thousand square feet, so it's huge. Um, it features actually functional rides and attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're handcrafted from scratch, and they're you know based on those historical you know photos and the dimensions and that. But just very realistic looking, very impressive. Yeah. So uh, most of the for those who don't know, the the wooden parts of most of these models are made of balsa wood, and is so it's it's got to be light and it's got to be thin so you can like glue it rather than nail it. Uh, in a lot of cases, but you could crush balsa, balsa wood in your hands in a lot of cases, uh, especially for strapping young men like me. But um, yeah, it's got moving rides, the the roller coaster, the shooting star move. It, it, very, very cool. Um, so uh, how large is the display? And like to you, what time period do you think that it kind of covers? That's in 1965, it looks like, um, you know, with the rides that are that are part of this model. So I would think that would be the era that it represents, um, you know, really captures, you know, that nostalgia of that era and, and just find a tale. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, everything from, you know, the roller coaster to, is it Lake Como? Is that what they call it there? Lake, yeah, Como, Lake Como, right. Como, yeah. Um, that's all there. Um, so so can, you, can you explain to me, to, to the best of your knowledge... Uh, and I'm kind of on the outside looking in with this. I've been around Entertainment Junction a lot in the past like 10 years or so. But um, how how are how are the rides created? And uh, like, what do you think from your standpoint, what makes it different from like the rest of the display elsewhere in Entertainment Junction? Well, these were, you know, crafted by hand from scratch. So a lot of a lot of time, a lot of effort um, you had to take it from photographs to kind of, um, you know, replicate what that look and that feel was. Uh, so the uh, attention to detail, it's very accurate. You know, if you, you went to Coney Island, you have any memories of it. I mean, it's going to rekindle those memories, uh, you know, real quick. So my earliest childhood memories are Coney Island. And I look at the display and I see rides like the, the Lost River and the Shooting Star. And it just, you know, just brings those memories flooding back. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the... Um significant rides that are there like how did it bring back memories for you well i mean they've got the wild mouse uh, you know family coasters there the train ride that was my first ever train ride was at, at cincinnati's coney island the haunted house you know i loved that ride the outside of the building it was really cool where they had this skeleton on a ladder that kind of was you know going back and forth um, you had the sky ride which ended up moving to the king's island uh the dodge the whip the cuddle up uh the lost river you know love that ride um, the other day for my birthday, my, my sister had posted a picture of um, me when I was about four at, at Coney Island. We're right in front of the Lost River. So, uh, you know, to be able to see that in this model, it, it brings back those kind of memories. They had the Ferris wheel, the Flying Rockets, which was the last ride that I rode at Coney Island in 1971 and the final day that the park operated. Uh, the Tumblebug and the Carousel, which is now at Kings Island. So those are among the rides that are there. Um, now, they're about a... a 124th scale model um but they're highly highly accurate in the representation yeah i I believe they're g scale like the rest of the uh uh, like the rest of the display but uh i mean i i never i got to visit coney island but not not in 1965 uh you keep on saying it's pretty accurate like can you can you elaborate on that like what what makes you think that it looks pretty accurate as far as 
you know, the rides and attractions and stuff like is just it... looking at, you know, it goes, you know, go from memory and go from photos and, you know, video. Mm. It's 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 all, you know, spot on accurate. Yeah. And then um, so uh, the display itself, my understanding, and you can confirm or deny this is there was as far as the placement of the rides are concerned and for t for space constraints, there was a little bit of liberty taken uh, as to where they go. And they had the streetcar go to it. The streetcar did not go to Coney Island. Uh, in no, fact, no, that did not. Right. So that was a liberty taken. That that helped it tie it in with the theme of Entertainment Junction because this is in the middle period. But um, so the, I, I remember at Coney Island, there was a T-shirt and I didn't buy it and I should have. And it was in the gift shop at the um, at uh, the pool, Sunlight Pool. And it was an old ad and it said, uh, take the streetcar to the steamboat and had the Coney Island logo. And boy, do I wish I had bought that, but I didn't, you know? Um, so yeah, there were a little bit of liberties taken, but as far as like the actual crafting of the rides and the design and stuff, um, it's, it's really cool. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, besides the actual display, do you remember what's behind you? Or am I going to have to jog your memory? You're going to jog my memory on that. So um, I'm, I'm looking at the, you know, the Coney Island piece out. I'm not looking at what's around it. Right. So right behind you up there on that, uh, that top mezzanine, there is another display and it's designed like Coney Island's entrance. So like the entrance building where you drive in and from there you hit buttons and you can see videos and stuff, including, you know, the audio of Ray walks like, uh, you know, Kings Island will be beyond your life. You know, that, that speech that most people familiar with Kings Island would be familiar with. Um, but, uh, the uh they had old like carousel tickets and stuff like that in there too just just a treasure trove of just fantastic stuff that that's really really cool uh i should mention and we haven't said this yet but uh the 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 display is interactive so you hit these big buttons when you hit the button it makes the roller coaster go it'll make the carousel go and then next to everything there is kind of like a, oh the carousel operated from 1926 until it was moved in 1971 and stuff like that so if you want to know about coney island Good Lord, that that's a good place to go, you know? <laughs> yeah, if you're ever thinking about doing a book project, go to Entertainment Junction and just push all those buttons. Yeah, and the people there could probably uh, set you up with some good Coney Island historians because they most certainly consulted with some people um, with that. But um, um, so can you share some insights into the process of recreating the amusement park's historic features like Lake Como, Moonlight Gardens, Ohio Rivergate, and more? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that was really impressive about this display. It's not just about the rides. It's about a lot of the structures that were at Coney Island. If you go there today and walk through it, you'd still see a lot of these uh, structures. The Lake Como, you mentioned Moonlight Gardens. Mm -hmm. You had the tree-lined Coney Mall, uh, the picnic areas, uh, Ski Ball Arcade. Uh, does anyone play Ski Ball anymore? I always worry about that. Uh, I love Ski Ball. Love yeah. Ski Ball. Yeah, you had the Ohio Rivergate. Mm -hmm. um, that was, uh, you know, the steamboat would come in and, you know, guests would come in from there. Um, so these are all like kind of, you know, cherished features that have been uh, recreated in this model. And, you know, if you grew up going to Coney Island, you know, you're going to have memories of all these structures. The Coney Island gate's still standing, right? I think I found that it last is. time I was there. So, but that's to clarify, people would get off the steamboat and they would come in. That would be the admission gate. Well, not really. They didn't really have admission, but that would be the entrance for people getting off the steamboat. So that's mm -hmm. fascinating, isn't it? It is. 
So do you think that um, Entertainment Junction managed to capture the, ens- the essence of Coney Island's charm and nostalgia with this model? Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, they, they certainly did. I mean, they had, uh, you know, like I said, it rekindled so many memories for me. And, you know, they got it right. I mean, it, it just is a, is a fantastic display. It's a, it's a must-see for anyone uh, that is interested in, you know, the history of amusement parks. Uh, they're interested in King's Island. They want to see where the park came from. You know, you, you definitely want to go to Entertainment Junction and take a look. Absolutely. And I, I would note that um, all of the train displays were built by volunteers, too. Uh, don't get me wrong. The people that work there work there. They get paid. But the people that build the trains are all volunteers. Build the train displays. I think they buy the trains. But um, they certainly repair a lot of trains and stuff. But uh, very, very cool place. Um, so what are some of the interesting aspects of Entertainment Junction that visitors should explore um, within the Coney Island model, in your opinion? Well, I think the one thing they want to take a look at is the shooting star. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the standout attraction in the model. It was the standout attraction, you know, at Coney Island in its final years. Uh, it's an impressive 40 feet long. It's four feet tall. Um, it showcases the artistry and, and dedication that went into creating these miniature uh, marvels that are in this display. So I think that's something to me that's kind of the, the star attraction of the model, just like it was at the park. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine like if they close Kings Island and, you know, 20, well, 50 years from now, I guess it would be, um, they built a model of it and I got to see it and kind of walk down memory lane. Maybe I'd love to shrink myself down and go visit, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. The things you remember from your childhood, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So, um, you know, let's uh, let's talk more about broadly about Entertainment Junction. We talked a lot about the Coney Island model, but Entertainment Junction has got three periods. So you go in and it's the early period of railroading. So it's pre-Civil War. <laughs> then they get to the, the middle period and it's like 1950s, streetcars, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to the late period, which is modern stuff. It's, you know, Norfolk and Southern and so on. Of those, which one's your favorite? Which one do you think they showcase best? I, I just think for me, it's just the evolution of the uh, American railroading. I think that's what's most impressive is just seeing how it evolved. Um, you know, I'm big on storytelling, and I, I think that, you know, appeals to me as I go through entertainment junctions, just seeing that evolution. Um, you know, the interactive displays, you know, museum, um, you know, these are some of the features that, you know, train enthusiasts, they're all going to love that. I agree. And um, I, one thing I would recommend uh, and this is definitely, this is the way that I did entertainment junction when I first started visiting. So go through once your first time, look through it, enjoy it, spend an hour, hour and a half looking at the display. Uh, your wristband's good all day. Go back through the admission window and ask them for the scavenger hunt. The scavenger hunt's looking for like 15 or 20 things within the display they're all in order yeah, i've not done that well i'm gonna have to do the that. cool part is is you notice details that you never would have noticed before yeah um and uh, so very infamously the owner don great guy by the way not don helbig a better don but he always likes to point out that there's like a um homeless man taking a dump under the bridge you have to like look a certain way to see it there's actually another easter egg in the early period there is a uh a barn and it's got a, the delorean from back to the future behind it uh, there's just stuff like that all the time. There's employees hidden in there in different places, but, uh, not just that. It's like you, you go through and you, you, you're, you want to rush for some reason. Uh, like I always rush through museums and 
you don't want to do that, but you could, it makes you look into the buildings and stuff because there's stuff inside the buildings. But yeah. And they do a nice, um, you know, Christmas event too there. That's worth checking out. Oh yeah. The Christmas event, uh, Christmas at the junction. So what that is, is, uh, they do, uh, affect some of the stuff in the, in the, the train display, of course, but their big thing is in the, uh, they've got, uh, this place that's, you know, you can get what they call a do it all ticket. And that covers pretty much everything that they have, but the do it all ticket gets you into what they call the amazing fun house. Now the fun house is so freaking cool. It's not just for kids. There's literally mazes in there. So one's, uh, one's a, um, curtain maze. So basically it's just a bunch of curtains and then, you know, you're trying to go through and then you hit like there's a wall behind those curtains and stuff. They've got a mirror maze. They've got one that's like space themed. Uh, they've got one that's um, almost like a like a clown college kind of thing where they've got like an Ames room. And an Ames room is one of those things where the room is shaped in a certain way in which if you stand next to a cutout, it looks like you're five feet shorter than it, even though you're like a foot and a half taller than it. You know, it's hard to describe, but it's great for photos. Uh, but they also have like a, what they call a tilt room, which is also cool for photos. The whole room is tilted with everything. So you stand there at this awkward angle and it looks like you're like, you know, dancing like Michael Jackson with your feet kicked back and stuff. But uh, so in the Amazing Fun House, they have the Christmas journey. And the Christmas journey is one of the coolest things they do. It's almost like it reminds me of like mall Santas from the 80s and 90s where they have like animatronic uh, reindeer. They've got snow that falls. They've got like classic like uh, window displays from like 1950 storefronts. Uh, all these go through until you hit Santa. Um, and then Santa will take a picture with you and stuff. But the cool part about their Santas is that they're specifically um, – told they request the North pole for the children watching that Santa spends extra time with people. So Santa will stop and have a conversation with all the kids. It's not like, what do you want? Okay. A bike. Let's take a picture. Okay. Get the heck out of here. Santa will talk to people. Santa will interact with people. He'll uh, really kind of bring the belief to people. They also do it in July for Christmas in July, by the way. Um, so they have the, the uh, Christmas display open for that. Um, but in the expo center, which is a really big room where, you know, they have weddings and parties and they build a haunted house in there during October. Um, they have this giant train display that's built on a mountain that's just covered in snow. Uh, one of the things, if you're Kings Island fans, uh, I may or may not have had a hand in this a little bit, but there's a model Eiffel Tower that's about four feet tall. That's got lights all over it that are pixel mapped. And it's got a skirt around it, and it looks a lot like a certain Eiffel Tower during Winterfest. Not going to say which Eiffel Tower it is, but uh, that set the music and stuff. It, it's just so cool. You got to go see it. Um, EntertainmentJunction.com, of course, is where you can find more information. Yeah, let me ask you this. When you're there and you're talking about taking time, you know, some of the, the working models that they have with the trains – do you spend a lot of time just, just watching it, you know, go through the course multiple times or do you just kind of look at it, move on? Cause for me, you know, I'll stay there. There. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, my instinct is always to go too fast. Um, one thing, especially as somebody that visits, like, you know, I, I go about every six months now or so is they're always building. So I'm always looking for something new. So that's really caused me to slow down. The volunteers are always building that next building or 
the next character or something. When last time I was there, they built a revolving, a working revolving restaurant at the top of one of the mountains um, toward the end of the display. So, yeah, I, I try to slow down, you know. Yeah, but I like looking, you know, like at the town and, you know, just the different things around it. Like you talked about the the, the restaurant and things. Mm-hmm. But it also makes me, you know, kind of regret that, you know, growing up and that, that I did not, um, you know, have the model train sets and things like that and build these things, you know, at my house. Uh, you know, I have some friends in that that have done that and they're pretty impressive looking, uh, you know, in their garage or in their basement. And that. So I kind of regret not not doing that when the opportunity was there to get into it. Um, but that's why a place like Entertainment Junction is so valuable, you know, for people like me that didn't do that. And then you can go and see these things on an even much, much larger scale than what you could build at your home. Yeah. And the thing that I want to get across to people that haven't been there is it's not like a giant table with a train display. This displays all around you. It's, you know, two stories tall in some cases with trains going by. And, you know, they've got like a freaking mock-up of the Space Needle. Uh, their their modern period is, I don't think it's supposed to be Seattle, but it's pretty close. It's got Boeing and the Space Needle, so perhaps mm-hmm. it is Seattle. But um, it, it's, it's very immersive. And uh, it, it's just so fun. If you have kids that love trains, it's perfect. If you're an adult that loves trains, it's also perfect. So I don't want you to think that it's just for kids. You know, little kids would want to go every week. As an adult, you'd probably be more, you know, once every six months, once every year, maybe visit for the celebrations and stuff. But it's definitely uh, something like if, if you like that stuff, you'll really appreciate Even if you're not into that stuff, you'll give it a go around. You'll really enjoy it. I just thought of an idea, Ryan. Mm-hmm. In November, you know, maybe we pick a Saturday. Yeah. Let's have an attractions group podcast meetup at Entertainment Junction. We can do that. So if anyone's interested in it, um, let's let's do that. We'll we'll do a attractions group podcast. Let's say slash Tower Topics because Tower Topics is you know more more local to Cincinnati, but. Um, yeah, we can do that, and we can, uh, you know, all walk through the display together and stuff. And I, I think they would appreciate that. And you know, I would certainly love to show people that, especially for the first time. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, I think it would be a lot of fun, and you know, just to to meet some of our audience as well too, and they get a chance to meet us, and and I think it'd be a fun day. I agree. Let's put it in the books. More to come. All, all right. right. Well, Ryan, uh, moving on mm-hmm. to this week's attraction group podcast question. Submitted on our X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. It comes from Flip, Vote, Freedom, Live Free. And it's for you. He says, at Ryan, sir, he wants to know, why does Cedar Fair have such bad apps? And how would you improve them? Okay, well... So Don did show me this question earlier today, but reminded me that our podcast, we try to keep around an hour. So I'm going to try to limit myself. Um, I'm very passionate about the app stuff. Uh, I'm sure that regular listeners to the show would probably know that. But um, so why Cedar Fair's apps are bad um, is obviously subjective because some people may think they're fantastic. But um, what it boils down to is the same reason why any app is bad. It's because they either don't have the means to develop something better, which they do, or they don't see the value in improving the app. Now, you would expect me to say which they also do, but the truth is they did announce in their recent earnings call that they plan to roll out a new version of the app. So uh, maybe they're seeing... Because when they went from the old app, the one that was... Um, what's a ticket vendor that they... that 
Cedar Fair used uh, uh, Excesso. Excesso, yeah, the Excesso app. Uh, and they went to the current app. Like that was that was freaking that was Sputnik up to Neil Armstrong. You know that was that was a huge leap. Um, and then so the new one might be really good. Um, and we actually have an episode, I think it's episode two, that's called building the, the perfect mobile app where we talk a lot about the features and stuff that we would add, uh, like fantasizing about it. Um, there are some things and, and I would say that the model app right now from a functionality standpoint would be the, my Disney experience, the MDX app for Walt Disney world. Um, in pulling from the information that, you know, you have from there, there are certain things that that I would probably build, like scaling it down for, you know, being reasonable for a seasonal park. The number one thing I would say is uh, you want to have the mobile food ordering. That's the best part of the the Disney app, the MDX. Um, the lines are always so long there. You know, you can manage Genie Plus and stuff, but I'm not going to get into that. But the lines are always so long there for everything. The fact that you can order and then, okay, I'll be there in 15 minutes and go pick it up. I, I can't tell you what I wouldn't give to have that at every park. You know, I think that's fantastic. I know that they're kind of dipping their toe in the water at at least the King's Island with having it at Hank's Burrito Shack. That's great. I'd love to see it rolled out to more places. They probably just need somebody locally to take ownership of that and really push for it. Um, I would say improved uh, wait times. Uh, the wait times are, are not very accurate for their apps. Uh, so I would have a, a better way of doing that. Uh, now how to do that. I don't know. That would be something to ask like an operations person, but whatever they're doing just isn't accurate or doesn't update enough for it to have an extreme value. Um, one thing that I, you know, Don, I texted you about this earlier today. Uh, you open up the mobile app and it should be, there should be a splash, not a splash screen. I wouldn't want it to pop it up. It like, shouldn't be an interstitial, but have it. Okay. Today at the park, Park hours are 10 to 10. Here are the show times. This is what's going on. Just everything you need to know right there when you open the app. Have your latest tweet and then a link to your latest blog. And then whatever other information you want to communicate, just open the app and it's there. You know, if somebody wants to buy tickets or something, they can kind of like hunt for that because they're going to buy. But as far as, uh, you know, creating awareness and stuff or like, hey, you know, the season passes are on sale now or whatever that should be addressed in some sort of card that's that's on the main page of the app. I think that's a huge opportunity and I I'm shocked that they never went that direction, but that might be that whatever the framework that they have with the current vendor uh, either can't do that or it would be really expensive to do that. But again, they're going to allegedly roll out this new app by the end of the year at several of the parks. So, we'll see how that goes. Um another thing I would do is uh pass perks if if that becomes a real thing. I know that that's controversial as to whether or not it even really exists now, but let's say it does because it would be really smart if it did. Being able to manage that through the app would be absolutely critical. Uh, I remember when they had fun perks, fun perks, yeah, uh, back with our friend, you know, the owner of the attractions group uh, worked with them for for fun perks. You managed it through a website, which I figured out you could do through your web browser on your phone. For me, I think it was a BlackBerry, honestly. Uh, and I, I just thought that was awesome. So being able to do that through the app would be, would be really nice and make a lot of sense. Uh, and then the other thing is like an interactivity piece. Um, I think that there should be things like scavenger hunts and stuff like that, that you can do around the park. Um, I know that Cedar point had the battle of Cedar point and it was not long lived, but I would argue that that was too much. 
Uh, that was a different app. That was too much of a drain on resources. But what I would do is within the app, you know, especially something for kids or even like adult, a park like Kings Island specifically, even maybe Cedar Point, Carowinds, that is a large season pass space where people kind of go and they eat and they hang out and stuff like that. It, it might be cool to have something where it's kind of like, oh, there's a different challenge every day and you can get badges or whatever. Uh, because I can tell you as somebody that wears an Apple watch, like closing your rings and stuff like that becomes compulsive. So if it's like, I got to go to the park and collect this, let's say like a pokeball kind of thing that might drive attendance. Um, really speaking out of terms here, because I don't know what happens behind closed doors as far as the conversations with the app are concerned, but, uh, I'm very hopeful for the future. I know that there are people within the organization that um, do see the value and they do see that as a medium to reach people. And you can specifically target people in or out of the park. Uh, you can target people within the park differently than people outside of the park or even outside of the city or whatever. Uh, and that's just a fantastic tool. So let's wait it out before we start criticizing how bad the rap is. Let's see how this new generation looks and maybe it'll be brilliant. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Don? I said enough. <laughs> well, I think, you know, like you said, the, the, the version that's currently out there now, just miles, you know, ahead of where the, the previous one had been. Um, you know, to, when I look at things, you know, from a, a communications standpoint, um, I think the mobile app is underutilized. I think, you know, you have just all these people that have downloaded and it's it's really should be the number one touch point communication wise that you're using. Uh, you know, there's always things getting posted on social media, which is great. But I, I to me, I would like to get people off rented land, which is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you know, TikTok, all those things and get them to be on the land that we own, which would be your website, uh, your email, your mobile app and have that where you know, all the different, um, you know, engagement things are really going on. So I think it's underused in that respect as a communication tool. Um, if there's different things that are going on, um, you know, I have a lot of uh, sports teams apps and uh, you get these constant updates or you get a coach going live, you know, with an interview or something, you know, if there was something that, uh, you know, you have a new ride announcement or something, you know, do a live type broadcast or something through your app. And those are the kind of things that I would like to see is just more things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and to clarify, you're going to get techie heads out there that will tell us why you can't do stuff like that. Uh, I think a lot of the stuff that I mentioned is doable. I, th I think broadcasting live through the app, there might be something like bandwidth wise or something that makes that difficult. But I, I really like where your head is with that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, all I know is I see so many other people doing it, you know, um, you know, whether it's in the industry or it's within the sports industry, you know, the app is kind of the key and that's where they're connecting with you, you know, more so than they are trying to through social media um, or even even email. It's, it's more about the app nowadays. And uh, I like the things you talked about when you open the app that should be there. I think that would be, be great to have that. Um, you know, I think it's got to be easy to navigate. I think the one that they have right now for the Cedar Fair Parks, I think that, um, you know, great improvement over, you know, what it had been before, much, much more user friendly than ever was before. Uh, but I do think the uh, mobile ordering, you touched on that, um, that would be huge to be able to have that at, you know, several locations throughout the park instead of just one. You know, it's, it's you know, you want to stick your foot in the water, but I think you need to jump all in with that. 
So Don, this is this is expanding on this question because that seems to be what I do with these user questions. Because I I think this is a great question, and it's obviously something I'm passionate about. But um, this is becoming less and less of a problem. But I want to hear your take on it. So there are two things that people say about, and we get this a lot with like the Disney MDX app. And number one is my signal isn't great at the park when it's busy. Number two is this drains my battery. My battery doesn't last all day. Just dreaming up, like what are some solutions that you would come up with to overcome that? You know, that I'm not on, like I said, on the tech side, so I don't know what the solution is to that. I do know it is frustrating to be at a park and it's one o'clock and your battery's already drained because, you know, you've been on the app all day and things. So uh, there are challenges with that. You know, I don't know what the solve is, uh, but I, I think that there, there's just unlimited potential and things you could do with the mobile app. And I hope this, this next rollout is... Uh, you know, if it, if it makes the same kind of jump that they did from the previous one to the current one, and they make a jump to, you know, that big of a, of a difference, then it, it's going to be a fantastic app. I mean, if they make as big of a jump as they did last time, then it's going to be uh, an industry leader. You know, a good example of a happy, like a really fantastic, solid app where you can do a lot of the stuff that, you know, we've mentioned is uh, the Universal app, actually. Um, it doesn't have a lot of the crazy stuff that, I mean, oh, the, no. the Disney apps in its own freaking league. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Universal doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but it's efficient. It's user-friendly. Um, it's useful. It's informative. Uh, you know, everything that you want in an app is there, but maybe not with all the bells and whistles, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And let me give you an example of something I think is really cool about it. And I'm assuming this is programmed in. So I'm going to load up the universal app now just to fact check myself. So. When I load up the app, now I'm in my home. I'm seeing buy tickets, park hours, map, ride, shows, and dining. Okay, that's appropriate. When you're in the park, it goes right to wait times. Because that's what you're looking for. That's the real critical key in it. And they've got to find a way to make that more accurate. Yeah, they've got to find a way to make it more accurate. And again, like I'm not pitching any idea as to how to make that more accurate because I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm just saying that if you want to have higher adoption with the app, you got to have more trust in that feature because that's probably the number one used feature. Um, and that's probably across the board, but the mobile ordering is absolutely critical. I I'm hoping and praying that that comes out with the next iteration. Uh, no, let's not say iteration. It's more than that. The next version of the, of the next version, Cedar Fair app. Um, so that's going to be really important and, uh, hopefully they can use it as a means of communicating with the, with the customers. Um, for me, it's, I'm one of those people where I want to know. So if they have a better way of reaching me, even with marketing materials, I want that, you know, and I bet a lot of people are like that. They want to hear from their local park because they enjoy that. Uh, you know, I don't want to get a push notification every day. That should be like a once a year thing maybe, or I think you can push away if you're in the park, but outside of the park, they should almost never, you know? Um, but like if you download the universal app and just poke around there, if you want a really good example of um, what an app for a seasonal park should be, if it's the best in class app. So fantastic question. All right. So we're going to wrap up the attractions group podcast now, but we're not done. Uh, as we stated last week, we're going, we're splitting it up. So pick six is going to be in a different segment. We're going to upload them at the same time. So just keep listening and hopefully you're, uh, podcast player will just hop to the next one, but we'll see you next week.